0: Hungry Trilobite Podcast would like to start by acknowledging these fine conventions. SoonerCon is Central Oklahoma's longest-running pop culture convention. The next event is scheduled for June 24th through 26th, 2002 in Norman, Oklahoma. However, they need your help to put on the next event. Please visit SoonerCon.com to find out how you can help make SoonerCon 30 a reality. The Hellmouth Convention The Hellmouth Convention is a celebration of all pop culture, but specifically things like Buffy, Angel, Firefly, and Dr. Horrible. It is held in Los Angeles, California, and the next event is scheduled for June 3rd through 5th, 2022. Proceeds benefit the Los Angeles LGBT Center as well as the Ron Glass Memorial Scholarship Fund. For more information, go to thehellmouth.org. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. If you're like me, you just finished watching the latest season of Star Trek Lower Decks and miss it quite a bit and you want to talk about how awesome this season was. I can't think of anybody better to talk to about that than today's guest, Megan Lloyd. Let's get started. On tap today, we have Meg Lloyd. How are you doing this evening?
1: Oh, I'm doing just so great. How are you?
0: I am doing fantastic. You are, I could say, the hero of the hour. What? Because no. we're still reeling from the season finale of Lower Decks. And I would say that of the things that we're going to remember from this season, the second is going to be going through all the backgrounds and looking at each <laughs> individual little in-joke and reference and wink and nod and the first thing we'll remember is a certain scene with Boimler, but let's put that aside for the moment.
1: <laughs> with, with a holographic Boimler, I'd like to remind everyone that was not the actual Boimler. That potato, was a potato. situation, yeah, it was a situation designed to make Mariner uncomfortable. And it turns out a great majority of the audience as well.
0: <laughs> I didn't see discomfort. I saw roaring laughter. It was a new defining moment.
1: A nude defining moment.
0: yes. yes it's right up there with you know I have been and always shall be your friend and you know <laughs> the line must one. be drawn here it's
1: uh yes um what is it the uh, the sensor bar must be drawn here mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah it, it's it's in that spec strata
1: yeah 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 there's definitely they're very close to each other on that line but uh yeah season two how great right it
0: was. And I mean, I, I loved your work. You're the background artist. Is that technically your uh, title? No,
1: I am one of the storyboard artists.
0: Okay. The distinction um, being, help so, me out
1: here. Yeah, the distinction being, so a story. Uh, the story team is who gets the episode directly after the scripts are done. Mm-hmm. Um, there are multiple story teams on our show. Um, I'm, uh, for season two, I was on team two with Kim Arndt as my director. Uh, So we have a director, four board artists, and then some revisionists, and we draw a rough version of the entire episode. So our director divides the episode up in pages, hands them out to us, and then each board artist pretty much comes up with absolutely everything in translating the episode from script to screen. Um, Then we go through a review with our director who, oh man, Kim saved my bacon on the first episode because I just transferred over from a show that's entirely CG, uh, which was Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. And so I didn't have to draw any backgrounds while I was on that show because we had uh, basically rough CG models of all of our sets. So I could go in there with a digital camera, pretty much take a picture of the set and then draw the characters on top of it. And my first episode of season two was Kayshawn, his eyes open inside the ship of the collector And I had uh, one of my scenes in there was the first couple of sequences when our ensigns at first beamed over with Lieutenant Kayshawn. So uh, I had to draw in by hand all these backgrounds in my storyboards. They had to be in perspective, they had to have correct layout and all this sort of stuff. And Kim, my director, was just so amazing because I sent my stuff into her and then she took the time to like red line over perspective grids on like all of my scenes. It was kind of embarrassing how badly I'd done the perspective the first time around. Um, But you mentioned background design and that's probably because I've mentioned on Twitter some of the things that I put in there. Those were Easter eggs that like this. So that episode in and of itself was such a huge like team effort because pretty much everyone on the show is a Trekkie. Um, So we started out with a packet of artifacts that could be used on the collector ship. And then, if we had any other ideas, we could say, Hey, I want to put this in. So, like, um, one of my favorite episodes is The Game. And I think the game uh, that, you know, Wesley wears and plays from Next Generation, I'm pretty sure the game headset was from The Packet but I was like, what do I put it on? And I decided I wanted to stick in the little winning bust of Picard from Picard Day. So that was something that was in my storyboard. Um, And then when the board artists have finished our rough version of it and it's gone through our director and our supervising directors looked at it, our design team and our background team, they also take the rough drawings we've done and they come up with a more finalized version. And some of the elements that I put in get designed really nicely and placed in. And then they also come up with a lot more of the extra stuff. So pretty much everything that surrounds the horse, that whole wall, that was stuff that was brought in by the design team. Because animation is basically the biggest team project that you have. And it just moves from team to team to team to team down the line until the episode is finished. So it goes the writers and, you know, in the writer's room and then story and design And then background animation and then animation is both characters and effects um color designers uh compositors who like take all the information from all of the different art departments and make it look shiny make it look nice and put on the lens flares and then of course our sound teams as well both with music and like foley and everything and uh it takes a long time to do a single episode which is why you have multiple teams in each department working on multiple episodes at once. So we can make sure everyone gets uh, gets to see a lot of lower decks every year in a timely manner.
0: I appreciate that. And yeah, I think that your, your tweets about the background definitely skewed my perspective of what you were doing just a little bit. Um, I do have to wonder what it's like to to have that episode or, or pretty much the whole season but that episode is specifically when they say this is not going to be some characters on a matte painting we are going extra for this we are going to pack in the details
1: mm-hmm.
0: I, I'm just imagining what it's like to have that assignment put in front of you
1: it's daunting um, so the the episodes I worked on in season two, uh, I was on episode two, episode five, episode eight. And the way that I see it is episode two had difficult backgrounds. Episode five had a million characters because I did all the like a lot of dupler scenes. And then episode eight was a bunch of action because I did a lot of act three and all the stuff with the Cerritos and the uh the tail end when they're trying to convince Shari and Yam to change their score. Oh yeah, I guess we should say spoilers for lower decks season two. I people probably know that already. Right. Yeah. Um, so it was a really, it was a really daunting task. Um, especially because I was like, Oh, you know, what if I stick in something that's inaccurate or like, what if I do something wrong? You know, will everyone catch it down the line? Uh, I actually, I made a big, um, I made a big chart, just for my, it's, it's messy. It's never something I'm going to share online. But I made a big chart of that first room they were in. And I like labeled all the walls and like where everything was. And I planned out where all the characters would go, like before I even started. So I would make sure I knew, you know, what would be in the case here and what would be on the shelf here and uh, stuff like that.
0: Very cool. I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by the process. I do want to know if your favorite episode or one of them is the game and you were involved, you had that headset in mind when you had this packet. Do you know for a fact if the headset itself actually had the Nintendo logo on it? That's supposed to have been what happened.
1: You know what, I do not know. Uh, The packet um, was just screen grabs from the show that our Mm -hmm. coordinator team, like our uh, production team has put together. so I didn't draw a Nintendo logo on it. And I don't it, know if the original has one either, but.
0: I was told it did. it did, but it was supposed to be an in-joke because you could never see it on TV. It was too small. And I've wanted to confirm this for so long.
1: Unfortunately, I'm not in a position to confirm or deny. I mean, it, it could. Um, I watched that episode a lot when I was little because it was one of the handful that we had recorded on VHS. Um so that was just one of the episodes that I knew the best. And so I was like, I get to put Easter eggs. We put that in there. Uh, I actually, in episode two, I got a little bit of stage fright because besides doing um, a lot of initial work on the ship, I had the final scene in Riker's ready room when he's talking to the Mr. Boimler. Uh, and I I actually got stage fright. It took me like two days to finally draw through that scene, even though it's really short. Because I'm like this is really going to be Jonathan's voice and he's going to see it and people are going to watch it that's actually Riker but I got over it I think the scene turned out pretty fun I got to do a a Riker lean I asked my director if I could get him to swing his leg over a chair and she's like well there's not reasonably a chair over by the window and I'm like oh I guess you're right someone else gets to do his leg swinging over a chair I'm sure
0: I, I'm almost not sure how Riker wouldn't have a chair there. I mean, it's it. He he just deliberately puts chairs in places. I think. Mhm,
1: mhm. In in order to perform the Riker maneuver. Mhm,
0: mhm. So I'm interested that you you can actually get stage fright from somebody who's not physically there, and you're not even <laughs> on a stage.
1: And it's somebody who I would never even show it to, because I'm sure by the time that the voice talent sees it it's much it's much further down the line Mm -hmm. um so the storyboard team we work on our episode our assignment for about six weeks um so a half you know about half to do a rough version then we get notes from our director and supervising director and then we clean it up and we send it on to edit for mike and um the other teams to review it as well so not only that, we made a majority of season two from home, like uh, during pandemic. So I never physically met anyone. I'm very good Zoom friends with them, of course. And our story coordinator, Jeffrey New, made sure that our storyboard teams got to meet each other. Um, like we've, we've had a couple team lunches, team dinners, but I'm actually really sad. I didn't get the chance to work in studio and meet all of the other artists and creatives on the team.
0: (sighs) There's season three. What? There's season three. There's time in the future.
1: There's time. There's time.
0: Mm -hmm. That's the great thing about the Trek universe is that once you're kind of in there, you will bounce around for the rest of your life. You never know what's gonna come down the pike.
1: Yeah, I I hope Lower Decks gets 10 seasons and 10 movies.
0: (laughs) You know, I. You got to have at least a few more seasons because the concept is so great. It's yeah. extremely popular,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's fun. Mm-hmm. I really
0: like it, and I love Discovery and I love Picard. But I think people are eager for a show that is just fun, mm-hmm. and it fills that gap nicely.
1: Yeah, I'm also really excited to see Prodigy, like the. Me too. The previews that have come out and the, the clips and everything it just looks beautiful oh they're opening titles I'm very excited to see Prodigy
0: yeah it, it again I want something that we can show as a family show and that's something we haven't mm-hmm. quite gotten yet yeah uh, again liking the other shows for what they are there is a need for this too mm-hmm. grab that younger generation yeah and I like the fact that they're bringing in Janeway and Chakotay and and other characters instead of just going with the 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 new cast which is you know important too
1: Mm -hmm. and in such a creative way as well like I Mm -hmm. love the idea that it's a Janeway hologram program that's specifically for people stranded in the Delta Quadrant I'm like yeah there's Starfleet saw a need and they've filled it
0: and that is kind of what I come back to when a lot of these things are, when in training, and then people talk about Starfleet training, is that somebody has to sit down and say, this could happen more than once, and we need, a th- we need to tell people what to do in this scenario. Do you happen to have the Starfleet Survival Guide?
1: I do not.
0: Okay. You, it actually does have, in excruciating detail, what you should do if you have to survive planetary reentry, or you think you may have found yourself in the past.
1: Amazing. I'll have to, I'll have to give that one a read.
0: It's a book by David Mack. It, it's, it's not, it, it's a pretty dense read just because it literally is what it is. It's like a military survival guide.
1: Man, I'll have to, it's on hiatus right now, but I was DMing a uh, Star Trek Adventures RPG. And I feel like that would be an important book for a GM of such a game to have.
0: Mm-hmm. One of my favorite bits in there was that they talked about reflashing the firmware in your tricorder in order to get additional functions. And it's like they actually thought about using a real tactic that you would use on a device today with something invented in the future. Mm -hmm. That's, I I like that.
1: Uh, Not exactly on those same lines, but one of my favorite Twitter accounts is Riker Googles things or Riker Mm -hmm. Googling things. Um, And it's stuff like erase holodeck search history or what moon was sailor moon from. And it's just someone tweets ridiculous things that are from Riker's future Google history. And it always gives me a laugh when it comes up on my Twitter feed.
0: On the topic of Riker, um, you know, just since you said you had stage fright, I feel like I should maybe try to make you feel a little bit better. If I could, Mm -hmm. that might be nice. Um, (laughs) I've met quite a few of the various cast members at cons. And I always try to, you know, strike up a conversation about something like actually fun and and just, you know, pass the time a little bit while I'm there getting my autograph instead of, Mm -hmm. I was really interested in talking to William Frakes because, or Jonathan Frakes, sorry. Um, His
1: transporter clone is William Frakes.
0: Right. (laughs) And I get up there and I just talked to Brent Spiner. I had a great chat about another project he'd done. And I you know, talked to Michael Dorn and had a great chat about something he'd done. And I get up to Jonathan Breaks and suddenly my mind completely turns to mush. And I don't know why. <laughs> but the only thing I can make my mouth say is, I'm really glad to meet you because I'm from Pennsylvania too.
1: Jonathan Frakes just has this effect on people
0: Uh, yeah I guess but I mean you do cons too I'm sure
1: Mm -hmm. you know Um, what it's like I've done a few Mm -hmm. Um, I actually there's a writers conference I go to every year in Utah which is where I grew up Um, I haven't been to comic-con yet I have the secret wish that I'm going to hold out until I'm personally invited, you know, to be on a panel for a show or something that I've done. Actually though, that's just an excuse. Like I could go. Mm-hmm. I just never seem to register for a badge in time.
0: <laughs> I've not done San Diego comic-con. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a really good time with more you know, smaller regional comic-cons, uh, the, the Dallas comic-con when they still had that. And, and some of the others like El Paso, uh, I find a smaller show, you get a lot more bang for your buck.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh One I really love and miss is PodCon up in Seattle. That only ran two years, but that was definitely the best con adventure I've ever been on. Uh, it was I, just a, a podcast convention run by Hank and John Crane and the the McElroy family. And it was a it was a nice little con.
0: I heard good things about it. I like that you called it an adventure, because that's what it really should be—a little bit of a treasure yeah. hunt, a little bit of a journey. You find some companions you weren't planning on.
1: Maybe I brought I brought my sister to one of them, and then mm-hmm. the other I'd met up with some web friends, which is great to to meet them. Um, and my uh, my poor sister, I <laughs> Emily, don't listen to this. I'm going to tell them the driving story. Uh, she was really worried about driving in uh, Tacoma and Seattle because she she'd never been there before. And I remember when she was coming to pick us up from the con to take us to the hotel afterwards, she got so panicked by the uh, just by the traffic and being in an unfamiliar area that as me and my friend were about to reach the car, she's like, "I've waited too long," and she takes off without us. <laughs> and then we're like, "Oh." Um, and she calls me on the phone. She's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know how to get back to find you guys. And I'm like, it's okay. We'll just turn the corner and she's like, there's no corner. It's a circle. And I'm like, well, then just drive the whole circle till you see us again. (laughs) Sorry, Emily. It's a good story. Um, but there, that was, that's one of my treasured memories from PodCon.
0: So you know podcaster to podcaster is there another podcaster con out there that would be worth going to
1: not that I know of okay uh none that I none that I have found um most because uh the final podcon was in 2019 and then I don't know if you noticed but 2020 happened right after that um so yeah I haven't I haven't been on the hunt for New conventions since then, but if I hear any, I'll let you, I'll let you know. If you hear Venom, do. send them my way.
0: So, getting into lower decks, being a Trek fan, um, you said you watched a lot of Next Gen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is Next Gen your favorite or
1: uh, Voyager is actually my favorite because okay. I watched a lot of Next Gen uh, when I was really really young, and then Voyager started coming out uh, around the time I think I was. Uh, seven, eight, nine, like around that age. Um, and I just remember being so excited to be like, it's a brand new, cause I'd also seen, I'd also seen, you know, the original series and some of the movies at that point. And it was just exciting to have a brand new series that we were getting more story of, you know, week to week to week. Um, I really love Janeway. She's my favorite captain. Another reason why I'm so excited for Prodigy. Um, and then the only series I haven't seen all of yet is Deep Space Nine. Um, just cause I wasn't, I wasn't really into it when it was airing and I'd watched, uh, two or three seasons of it back when I was in college. But then once I got into, you know, once I got my first jobs and I've been like working, 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 I don't like to listen to shows that I've Mm -hmm. never seen before while I'm working, which leads to me just re-listening to a lot of my old favorites again and again. But someday soon, maybe this Christmas break, I am gonna sit down and I am gonna finish Deep Space Nine because I know it's good. I just have to finish it.
0: (laughs) I find sitcoms are very good for working too because I don't mind if I miss a scene here or there when I have to focus. Yep. But Um, yeah, Deep Space Nine, you're definitely on the right track. You want to pay attention. I wanna
1: watch it. I wanna Mm -hmm. see the costumes and the actors and the the camera setups and things that's one of the things that's been really fun about working on Lower Decks is the even though it's a uh, an animated series there's a real focus on emulating the same sort of where the characters are set up and where the cameras are set up that you find in the live action series so it's not a bunch of you know just standing and talking you know, in front of a flat background that whenever possible, you know, you have someone seated at a con and someone standing over them or where you set your camera on the bridge and how you like gather everyone around a a console together. Um, That a lot of the artists, we like heavily reference the live action shows when we're working on the animated series to make sure that we give it that authentic Trek feeling.
0: It shows. It really does show because it, it you can tell the way it, everything's framed and the way the, the motion is set up that it it does invoke a lot of the original uh look and feel of the earlier shows not, especially not looking at discovery and picard like those 90s and 60s shows
1: mm-hmm. um especially because in those uh those older series Being filmed on actual film meant every shot was much more expensive just in the raw materials required than it is today shooting on digital, Um, which is why older blooper reels, you always hear the people behind the camera being much more grouchy than they are these days. (laughs) Because you've got a limited amount of film and film's expensive and it's, you know, hard to go through a bunch of things to edit, cut, all that sort of stuff. So they would really focus on having these robust setups, like these master shots where you could film the whole scene or you come in close on the console and film again, you know, your entire take with just these two people to give you a much more simple time in the edit bay. So there's a particular Um, feel you get to action movies these days that they really focus on very excessive and percussive cutting because they can just cover the action from any angle they want and assemble it all later down in the edit bay when a lot more older films generally there's more planning put into those kind of projects because they were working with both time and money constraints that are different from what filmmakers have today.
0: Good point. I mean, I can think of several scenes from various Trek series where you would see a character and you would see four different cuts, one of them running down the hall, the next of them jumping, the next of them flying through the air, and the the fourth of them landing. And you could definitely tell if you were thinking about it, which one was actually them and which one was their stunt double. And that's not a bad thing, but it does create a very specific look. And that's kind of what you guys managed to capture in animated form.
1: Mm-hmm. Um it's 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 such a fun show to be on. I mean, it is it is still like got its difficult moments. For example, season 2 episode 5, and Embarrassment of Duplers. There's a lot of duplers. Um I got to do the very first initial scene where uh they split in half, which was really fun. I love doing those sort of like crazy sci-fi transformations. Um, And so I would have storyboarded out a very rough, you know, kind of stilted in its motion, black and white version. um, And then seeing what the animation and design and effects teams did with it after that, that I think was the most fun episode for me to watch. But then of course the duplers duplicating exponentially. And so the more and more scenes you had, the more and more duplers you had to draw, Um, Because you can't just copy and paste the exact same Dupler in the exact same pose, because then it would just look like we've got a million cardboard cutouts. So what I did is I drew about 10 different Dupler poses. Um, And this is for the scene um, on the bridge when Basically, everyone's getting smashed up against the doors and everything. So, not when uh, the captain's yelling at everyone to stop, but it's the moment when they're like, she's giving us the silent treatment. Uh, So, I had drawn about 10 different duplers and I would just copy and paste them in clusters, trying to make it look as organic as possible so I could fill up the entire bridge um, and make it feel more grounded in what was actually happening and not like I just rubber stamped a dupler in there. I think. I don't remember if I counted or not. I feel like I got fifty or sixty duplers in my biggest shot. It might be fewer than that, though. But it it felt like two hundred.
0: <laughs> you realize now, every time one of us has some sort of major anxiety day, we just picture our brain full of duplers up here,
1: <laughs> and you've just you've just got to yell at yourself mm-hmm. and snap yourself back in one piece. Yeah. Um. So you had actually asked me to uh, jump on this podcast with you back when we were still working on season two. Mm -hmm. And I had asked you if we could wait till after because one of the things I take pretty seriously is my, you know, are my NDAs. And I don't, you know, you don't talk about stuff until it's out, until it's announced. Well, um, in that Dupler episode, there's a scene with Rutherford and Tendi working on a model of the Cerritos. And it's, you know, it's like a working model of the ship. And I mentioned a couple minutes ago that I was on a Star Trek RPG at the time and we were streaming on Twitch and completely unprompted by me. One of my players was like, Hey, um, I'm going to be working on a miniature working model of our ship. And I was like, you, you, you are. And he's like, yeah, I just, I feel like it'd be a really cool idea. And I, Uh, you know, I kept my game face on, but I remember thinking, oh my gosh, if someone from my team sees this, they're going to think I told my, they're going to think I told my RPG game about this show. And I didn't. And I, I remember having to play it like extremely cool. And then when that episode came out, I sent, uh, I sent my friend screen caps and I was like, I don't know how you guessed this exact scene was happening, but you did. Uh, I think that speaks to how well Mike and the writers like know what it's like to be a Star Trek fan and what you would want to have if you lived in the Star Trek universe. And it's a working model of the ship you're on.
0: Just, again, no couldn't possibly known. And I can't be the only person that thought of this, but before the episode, I happened to get a vinyl cutter a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. And the very first thing I wanted to make just to prove that I could make it was a cetacean op seal. (laughs) Which was basically like taking the Voyager style Delta, but instead of the little rectangle putting a whale silhouette behind it.
1: Oh, that's cute. I yeah. thought
0: yeah. So and, and then finally in the last episode of Lower Decks, we find out that the Cerritos has a station ops department.
1: Yes, with the whales that <laughs> are they just love being on the ship. And they love all the crew members. <laughs> Oh, I loved all the so I didn't work on the finale. Um, but I think my favorite running bit through the finale is how excited Boimler is for Captain Freeman Day. Uh mm-hmm. and how everyone he talks to is like, isn't isn't that for kids? Ugh.
0: That's him though.
1: That is him. That's definitely him. Oh, poor Boimler. He gets he. Not as much in season two, but I feel like in season one, he was really like the butt of the joke. Um, But I think he's gained a bunch of confidence from being on the Titan in season two. And he's learned to sort of roll with it. And I I really like seeing his growth, like his character arc that we've watched over the first two seasons.
0: That's an interesting point about character arcs on lower decks, because for a lot of the older Treks, you didn't see a huge arc. Mm -mm. in the characters and with animated shows you tend to think of no character arc because everybody's supposed to be the same that were at the beginning of the show but Lower Decks it throws both of those expectations in the wind these characters are growing and they're growing pretty rapidly
1: it really does yeah so like Mm -hmm. the boiler we saw Mm -hmm. in the season two finale he's not unrecognizable from where he started but it's it slowly steadily uh, I'd say uh, Boimler and Mariner are the two characters that are really changing the most because they started from, I don't want to say a negative place, but they've they've definitely matured into who they are right now. Uh, and that's been really fun to watch.
0: It is fun it's rewarding to watch too, because you're wondering, are these people gonna move up in the ranks, move up in their or are they gonna stay with Starfleet at all? You don't, you're not used to seeing characters really? who don't necessarily have those grand ambitions.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, or even if they do, sometimes they are Ensign Harry Kim and they're stuck in the Delta Quadrant where they just can't get promoted.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because somebody always has to be the Ensign.
1: Yep. <laughs> so Which sorry. is the most
0: TV logic statement I've ever heard.
1: Man, do you uh, do you listen to the Delta Flyer?
0: I've heard a couple episodes.
1: It's pretty fun. I, uh, My same sister I mentioned earlier, I gifted her a Delta Flyer Patreon subscription uh, for Christmas mm-hmm. last year. So we're- It's a good gift. Yeah. We're big Delta Flyer fans in, in our house.
0: I'm going to make sure the link to that in your podcast as well goes into my show notes at aaronboss.com. So if somebody wants to check those things out, i will have a quick link to it.
1: Great. And yeah, more specifically what uh, my podcast is with my sister is it's a general- Uh, media review podcast. We're calling it My Sister Made Me View It. And it's things that one of us have just loved forever. We've never been able to get the other one into. Um, So for her first long form pick, I'm watching the 1999 Roswell produced by Jonathan Frakes, who also uh, cameos in it multiple times as himself, which is a lot of fun. Um, And then for my big first choice, we're covering the Way of Kings books by Brandon Sanderson, which I lent her the first book to that series, and she left it in her car for three years and never cracked it open. So I'm glad we're finally podcasting so I can get her to read it.
0: Now, that is so much fun because one of my worst personality traits for some people who know me well is I compelled to share stuff I really like.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily a great judge of if they like it too, or if they will. So have you come across something that's like, you think it's amazing and your sister is like, not so much?
1: Well, it's actually the opposite of that. Um, I'm warming up to it, but I didn't really enjoy the first eight or nine episodes of Roswell. Had a little bit of a bad attitude going into that. Um, and then we're also, we're covering little shorter things uh, in between as she really loves Mike Flanagan's The Haunting of Hill House. And I really liked the front half of it, um, but really disliked the, just the writing in the, in the back half of that. And so we're, we're going through that one right now too. We're almost done. We're almost done with it. We're on episode seven out of nine, 10, um, but Yeah, so she loves everything that I choose because I have impeccable taste. And then (laughs) I've been a little Grinch-like about a couple of her choices because I am too picky.
0: Too picky? Can you like wrap your head around maybe why she'd like, even if it's not your cup of tea?
1: Oh yeah, some things just aren't for me. Uh, No one has made the perfect piece of art art is subjective and it's not universal so you'll have some people and we'll see this with star trek how we have some people absolutely love one captain and one crew above everything else or we'll have uh you know people who really hate the newer series but really love the older series or maybe even people who couldn't get into the older episodes but have found you know that they really jive with the newer stuff that's coming out and so not everything is for everyone
0: And there's definitely something to be said for personal experience being woven into it. Like you watched Next Gen when you were little, so did I. That can't be separated from how we feel about it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And
0: even somebody finding it now, they're going to probably have a good experience with it, but they won't have the experience of just seeing a few episodes and wondering what else is out there. They've already got seven seasons waiting for them.
1: Right, right. Yep. Uh, I- one of my friends um she watched lower decks because i was on it and she loved it and she's like is there more star trek and i'm like is there more star trek and i tried to show her voyager and she's like this is kind of boring and i was like oh, okay so she really likes lower decks she likes the quicker pace uh she she doesn't quite jive with the slower uh space drama and i was like but But Voyager next generation come on
0: have you given her a shot at the animated series
1: uh not the original one no I
0: was just because number one it's probably in terms of format the closest to lower decks Mm -hmm. and it was my introduction to Trek
1: oh awesome
0: I the very first memory I have of ever watching Trek was the counter clock incident okay and I was like five and a half and it was on Nickelodeon. So that's why I want Prodigy. Because seeing Star Trek go to Nickelodeon, for me, is going back to the basics. Mm-hmm. Which, again, your own experience gets wrapped up in it, too.
1: Yeah, of course. And like when you saw something is almost just as impactful as the thing that you were seeing. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, we tend to grab onto things that we watch when we're young and especially in our mid teen years when
1: Mm -hmm.
0: everything is so intense.
1: Yeah. Fiction becomes
0: intense along with it too. I mean, how many people keep listening to the same songs they did in high school? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I
1: even have some of the YouTube playlists I made in high school. (laughs) They're, they're all, uh bleach amvs of ichigo and rukia because that was like 80 of my high school personality was how much i loved bleach and manga and anime in general i was one of i was one of those kids in high school and still am that's why i'm in animation to this day
0: well i'm glad to hear that and i i mean to have it grab you and follow you i know animation is a tough gig mm-hmm. so i'm glad you managed to crack your way into it
1: rough going but uh I did it and now I get to now I get to just work on fun stuff all the time so that's hard as I'll get on these really cool shows and then they don't get announced for a year or more uh after I've been working on them like an example is this uh uh Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous I was on it for I don't even know how long probably six or seven months before it was even announced and then it was about another not a full year, but it was like, it was announced. And then there was just ages until the first episode aired. But by the time the first episode aired, all my work on the show had been finished and I'd moved on to Lower Decks. So Lower Decks was actually the first time I've been on a show while it's airing uh, because I came on board for season two. And like uh, Mike McMahon has said in some of his uh, interviews this week, we were working on season two while season one was coming out. Um, And so it was really fun to be on the show while the episodes were airing and to see, you know, fan reactions and what people are saying on Twitter, what people are saying on YouTube. And um, it was, it was very gratifying to see while there was kind of a a negative, I'm going to say a negative knee jerk reaction at first. And this, this happens all the time. We actually just saw it happen with the netflix live action cowboy bebop series where they released the their live action version of the opener and everyone was like oh i don't think i like this and then they released uh, an original scene just this week and everyone's like oh maybe this is to my taste so it's interesting to see some of the initial knee-jerk oh i don't like this show style or i don't like these show characters and then as the season rolled on to see more and more people uh fall in love with the series with Lower Decks.
0: I've learned not to judge anything by the first few episodes. And I won't really, for a trek, especially, I won't judge anything until season three is done.
1: Yeah. I have a I have a first season rule myself. So mm-hmm. like my aforementioned, I really didn't like the haunting of Hill House. I'm still really looking forward to the the second series in the anthology, that The Haunting of Bly Manor, because the first season is where you figure out what you're doing. And the second season is like, all right, we know how this rolls. Now let's do the parts of it we really liked. So, yeah, I always, I always try and give shows I watch like one season's worth of leeway.
0: Mm-hmm. Especially when you know that it's made five or six, seven seasons, because if, if it got to that point, it's got to be going somewhere, yeah. even if the first season has some clunkers. Just to throw out an example, I'm actually a huge fan of season one of Buffy.
1: Okay, yeah. Which
0: totally gets crapped on by all sorts of fans and non-fans, but I think it's solid. I really
1: like, okay, I really like season one. I love the season one finale with Prophecy Girl and the stuff with the master. I I really like season one of Buffy. Okay, I, thank you. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I don't care for season four or seven, but I really like, let's see, in order of favorite seasons, probably six, five... One, three, two. No, because I like season two. I don't know. It's very it's very hard to rank them, but I do really like Buffy. And I like the first season, but I know it can be a hard watch uh, for some people to get to.
0: Yeah. And, and I through. think it kind of boils down to, do, are you somebody who's like you and I, where they, they're willing to let it build for quite a while before they really throw in their two cents? Or do they need to know two episodes in if it's for them? And I, I understand that perspective.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to spend 20 hours on something that you don't enjoy.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think working in the industry has given you a little more leaning in that direction or is that just the way you've always been wired?
1: That's kind of the way that I've always, uh, that I've always been. Once I decide that something's not for me, uh, I, I try not to super complain about it, mm-hmm. especially online. I mean, The fact that my sister's making me do a podcast about shows I don't like is different because it's about the discussion um but like I try not to slam things I don't like on the internet um yeah I just I just try to find the things I really do like and then (laughs) make fan art for those things
0: especially if you know that something that isn't really your cup of tea is beloved by many people of the internet
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you
0: don't want to say that you don't really care for their favorite thing
1: yeah and listen, they if, if you, you, you can't say you don't say, like it and
0: they say it's inconceivable
1: yeah if you can't say something nice don't say anything at all yeah. it's really that easy don't it's, be a jerk yeah it's hard though when um if you say something mean but also really funny you get super rewarded on the internet for it mm-hmm. like you know attention and and it's 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 nice to get a lot of twitter notifications on things <laughs> heaven knows i enjoy that <laughs> yeah
0: I, I had a a tweet go mega viral last Ooh. june um i told a joke about star wars and i want to stress it was just a joke yeah it wasn't okay. even a mean-spirited joke <laughs> but yeah, it ended up with like six and a half million in transactions. And,
1: wow! Oh, and,
0: and got retweeted by Mark Hamill.
1: Oh well, that's where at least four yeah. million of the things came from. Wow! And I
0: I didn't care. All it was is, I just hope everybody knew it was a joke. And I, there's yep. just a little part. And it's like I just no one's Just trying to be funny.
1: Yeah, it's like I'm just being court jester to my little corner of the internet like exactly and i like my people yeah it's like this was made this was my hole it was made for me uh it's you want to say things that your online friends like and Mm -hmm. sometimes you know the internet's a public place and someone overhears you in the town square and they're like hey get a load of what this guy said about star wars (laughs) and then it's all over
0: yeah Okay. Okay. Megan, I don't want to take too much of your time. I'm really having a good time talking to you. I'd love to have you back on any time, but I want to make sure people can locate your podcast, your Twitter presence, and all the other places that you'd like to send people. So what should I put into the show notes?
1: All right. Well, if you want to find just me, myself, and I, you will search at third child art. That's all spelled out. One word at third child art on both Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. Um, And then the podcast that I run with my sister is called My Sister Made Me View It. You can find us at Sis Made Me View It on those same social media sites. Um, And we try and do a unique feed for what uh, each of us have picked. So like we have Megan's feed, which is The Way of Kings, Emily's feed, which is Roswell. And then we'll have a shorter miscellaneous feed where we cover things like Haunting of Hill House and mob psycho 100 is what we're tackling next Woo! because season three just got announced and i'm excited uh so that is where you can find me on the internet
0: awesome well thank you so much and i hope to have you back on real soon
1: awesome well i will catch up with you later then aaron thank you so much for having me on
0: anytime I would like to thank Megan for being my guest today and I would like to thank you for listening. For the community building part of the show where we talk about how to grow this show that I promise costs you nothing and takes less than 5 minutes of your time. I want to swing back to something she said on the show about how she was so into anime in high school and now she has a job in animation. I would like to know what were you into in high school whether high school was last week, tomorrow, or whether maybe it was many decades in the past. When isn't important to me, but I want to know what you were into and if that fandom is still around and if it affected you today. I would like to hear your story. You could reach out to me at bossigpodcast at yahoo.com. You could tweet me at Aaron Bossig. And please go ahead and subscribe to the show so you can catch every episode. You could do that on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube. And we are syndicated on Realm of the Mist, a fantastic podcast network. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.